CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in sultry Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your friend, your host, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black. Just trying to finish up a Werther's here, you know, I, you know, me and the Werther's sugar-free butterscotch candies. I don't know why they're not a sponsor of this program. They ought to be for the amount that I advertise them here on this show, the big show. I probably should have waited until the Werther's had finished its work of dissolving in my mouth before hitting record, but I just couldn't wait. I've also got one of my trusty cans of Diet Coke right here. My daughter's home from college, and she did me a great disservice because uh, we were out of Diet Coke, and she's been drinking the Diet Coke too, which is why uh, we ran out of it a little more quickly than we might have otherwise. And what did she do? When I asked her to pick up some Diet Coke when she was out shopping with her mother at Target, I said, pick up some Diet Coke. She came home with a 12-pack of Diet Coke. Fine, but they were the mini cans. Oh, the mini cans. What is she thinking? Nice to have her home. Just finished with her freshman year of college, the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry Savannah is also her bedroom when she is home. So I am currently occupying her space, or perhaps she is occupying mine. It's hard to say, but it's her birthday week, and she's got a bunch of friends coming to Savannah to celebrate with her. They'll be here for days on end celebrating my daughter's 19th birthday. The first one arrives in about an hour from now, and her childhood friend, probably the the kid she's been friends with the longest since they were just wee lasses, two, three years old. I don't know how old they were, but she's flying in, and uh, it's nice. It's nice to have her here. 
not the friend. I mean, the friend, I'm glad to have her here too. I've always liked the friend, but nice to have my daughter here. She's been in a good mood. We've been having a nice time and I am in her space. To my delight, she has unpacked her things and the room, the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library slash bedroom is tidy. When she was living in the wilds of Connecticut, her bedroom was never tidy. In fact, it was always in a state of cataclysm, might be the gentlest way to say it, just a state of utter disaster from the age of, oh, probably about 11 or 12 to the time she left for college. So to walk into this room here and have everything be put away, it it makes the heart sing is what it does. I tell you, it makes the heart sing. Now, maybe that's the caffeine talking. I don't know. But it is always a pleasure to walk into a clean room. Our downstairs hovel, you know, our bottom level where we are eventually going to rent out uh, and or Airbnb has, is now just about complete. We've, we've, uh, we've put out furniture. We've, we're, we're in the process of decorating. Beds have sheets on them. That's where my daughter's friends are going to be staying when they arrive. And uh, it's nice. You know, it's nice to have a full, happy home. Nice to have the trappings of home uh, on every level of the haunted mansion in which I reside. Not so happy a home there at Thrush Cross Grange, where Heathcliff has just arrived after, lo, these many years out in the wilderness. We don't know how many years exactly, but he's been out of the picture for about three years, and Catherine got herself married to Edgar Linton, the fastidious Edgar Linton, and now he's just sort of shown up again. And uh, that's where we left it last time with uh, the house and high drama as Catherine is rushing around excitedly wanting to welcome Heathcliff back and Edgar all uh, in all, you know, pissy and, you know, everybody, everybody being a dick. Dick, 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 dick is how I described it last time. And I think the description is apt now as well. So let us continue reading. Chapter 10 of Wuthering Heights. So Heathcliff is waiting outside. Catherine is all in a tizzy. And Nellie begins the narration. I descended and found Heathcliff waiting under the porch, evidently anticipating an invitation to enter. He followed my guidance without waste of words, and I ushered him into the presence of the master and mistress, whose flushed cheeks betrayed signs of warm talking. I'm sure that's not all they were betraying Nellie. But the ladies glowed with another feeling when her friend appeared at the door. Well, there's the other feeling. She sprang forward, took both his hands, and led him to Linton. And then she seized Linton's reluctant fingers and crushed them into his. So, she's sort of, you know, she's matchmaking a little bit. I don't mean in a romantic way, but like, you you know, she's saying, Okay, you two, you've had your problems in the past, but you're going to be friends now. We're all going to get along and have a happy uh, friendship menage a trois. 
Now fully revealed by the fire and candlelight, I was amazed more than ever to behold the transformation of Heathcliff. He had grown a tall, athletic, well-formed man, beside whom my master seemed quite slender and youth-like. His upright carriage suggested the idea of his being in the army. His countenance was much older in expression and decision of feature than Mr. Linton's. It looked intelligent and retained no marks of former degradation. A half-civilized ferocity lurked yet in the depressed brows and eyes full of black fire, but it was subdued, and his manner was even dignified, quite divested of roughness, though too stern for grace. My master's surprise equaled or exceeded mine. He remained for a minute at a loss how to address the plowboy, as he had called him. Heathcliff dropped his slight hand and stood looking at him coolly till he chose to speak. "'Sit down, sir,' he said at length. "'Mrs. Linton, recalling old times, would have me give you a cordial reception, and, of course, I am gratified when anything occurs to please her.' "'And I also,' answered Heathcliff, "'especially if it be anything in which I have a part. "'I shall stay an hour or two willingly.' He took a seat opposite Catherine, who kept her guys fixed on him as if she feared he would vanish were she to remove it. He did not raise his to her often. A quick glance now and then sufficed. But it flashed back, each time more confidently, the undisguised delight he drank from hers. Well, what is she doing? Really, what is she doing? She is playing her husband for a fool, and she is... You know, she's just in love with the guy. And you just can't, you can't do that when, you know, when you're married to somebody else. You just can't act like that. You just can't be all goo goo ga ga, awestruck, starstruck, star crossed, whatever it is. You can't do it. Catherine, you made your bet, now lie in it. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's immaturity and it's, uh, I know, you know, it's just, it's insulting to Linton, who's, by the way, been giving her a nice life. Now, look, none of us like Linton. He's just a prissy little boy, but we don't like him. But he's, you know, they've been relatively happy. They've been moderate in their satisfaction with life. And that's enough, isn't it? And now you've got Heathcliff running back into the picture, being all handsome and shit, all dignified and whatnot. You know, those those cool eyes that... That, that, that slight look of contempt with which he beholds the world. I mean, that's just catnip to a young lass like Catherine. We all know that. They were too much absorbed in their mutual joy to suffer embarrassment. Not so Mr. Edgar. He grew pale with pure annoyance, a feeling that reached its climax when his lady rose, and stepping across the rug, seized Heathcliff's hands again, and laughed like one beside herself. I shall think it's a dream tomorrow, she cried. I shall not be able to believe that I have seen and touched and spoken to you once more. And yet, cruel Heathcliff, you don't deserve this welcome to be absent and silent for three years and never to think of me. A little more than you have thought of me, he murmured. I heard of your marriage, Cathy, not long since, and while waiting in the yard below, I meditated this plan, just to have one glimpse of your face, a stare of surprise, perhaps, and pretended pleasure. 
afterwards settle my score with Hindley, and then prevent the law by doing execution on myself. Oh, so he's going to kill himself? <laughs> what? <laughs> and prevent the... So, uh, so here was, you know, you know, it's a little surprising to see you here, Kathy, and it's a delight because because it's because my plan was to show up and surprise you and have you look at me, you know, and see you one last time and then go kill Hindley and then go kill myself. You know, that was my plan, but but now circumstances have changed. Your welcome has put these ideas out of my mind, but beware of meeting me with another aspect next time. Nay, you'll not drive me off again. You were really sorry for me, were you? Where there was cause. I've fought through a bitter life since I last heard your voice, and you must forgive me, for I struggled only for you. I mean, he's saying this right in front of Edgar. <laughs> I mean, they're just standing there, Catherine holding Heathcliff's hand. I mean, I'm picturing them like standing there, looking at each other adoringly, him saying, you know, her saying, I've, I, you know, I can't believe you're here. God, I love you. And, and here you are. And, oh, you haven't thought of me all these three years. And him saying, oh, I heard you just, I just heard you got married. I came and I was going to kill myself. But now looking at you here, gosh, you know, all my plans have changed. I'm never going to let you out of my sight again. Um, Catherine, unless we have to have cold tea, please come to the table. <laughs> Interrupted Linton, stri- striving to preserve his ordinary tone and a due measure of politeness. Mr. Heathcliff will have a long walk wherever he may lodge tonight, and I'm thirsty. She took her post before the urn, and Miss Isabella came, summoned by the bell. Then, having handed their chairs forward, I left the room. The meal hardly endured ten minutes. Catherine's cup was never filled. She could neither eat nor drink. Edgar had made a slop in his saucer and scarcely swallowed a mouthful. Their guest did not protract his stay that evening above an hour longer. I asked, as he departed, if he went to Gimmerton. No, to Wuthering Heights, he answered. Mr. Earnshaw invited me when I called this morning. Mr. Earnshaw invited him, and he called on Mr. Earnshaw. I pondered this sentence painfully after he was gone. Is he turning out a bit of a hypocrite and coming into the country to work mischief under a cloak? Well, he kind of said that, didn't he? Uh, Afterwards, settle my score with Hindley. Hindley Earnshaw, I mean, you know. Is he turning out a bit of a hypocrite and coming into the country to work mischief under a cloak? I mused. I had a presentiment in the bottom of my heart that he had better have remained away. You think, Nellie? You think? Everything was at peace. And then comes Heathcliff. That could be the name of uh, the theme song for the Heathcliff sitcom. And then comes Heathcliff. Stirring up the pot. Little bit of this and that. He just won't stop. He live. About the middle of the night, I was awakened from my first nap by Mrs. Linton gliding into my chamber, taking a seat on my bedside and pulling me by the hair to rouse me. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're... What your uh, what your position is in the household? You don't go sneaking into uh, somebody else's bedroom in the middle of the night and pulling their hair to wake them up. It just isn't done. 
Not in America. It's just rude, and it isn't done. Wake up. Uh, ow, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a horrible way to wake up. Ah, uh, God. Comedy of errors. That's what we're in right now. Practically a French farce. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot of slamming doors, a lot of sexual escapades, a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of on double entendre. Just, you know, a lot of, a lot of mischief, a lot of frivolity. But, you know, it all feels very dark and ponderous, doesn't it? Because I don't think this is meant to be a comedy, and yet it sort of, sort of reads like a farce. Anyway, let's take a little break, and then uh, we'll be back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Back on Obscure. Middle of the night, Catherine comes in. Wake up, Nelly! Yanks her hair. Nelly wakes up. And, you know, not, not a good way to wake up. If, I, if somebody does that to me, I say, what the fuck? Apparently, Nellie didn't say anything because Catherine just talks. I cannot rest, Ellen, she said by way of apology. And I want some living creature to keep me company in my happiness. Edgar is sulky because I'm glad of a thing that does not interest him. He refused to open his mouth except to utter pettish, silly speeches, and he affirmed I was cruel and selfish for wishing to talk when he was so sick and sleepy. He always contrives to be sick at the least cross. I gave a few sentences of commendation to Heathcliff, and he, either for a headache or a pang of envy, began to cry. So I got up and left him. Well, Catherine... (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, this does not speak well of you. It does not speak well of Edgar, who apparently is incapable of expressing his uh, annoyance in any uh, meaningful way, other than silly speeches and tears and to plead a migraine. And then her reaction to that is to leave. So, you know... They were doing fine as a couple, but as I titled the last episode, they are not a good couple. You know, she she needs a little reining in. Does she not? She needs a strong hand. And look, does that sound paternalistic? You bet it does. But at the same time, you know, facts is facts. Not saying Heathcliff doesn't need reining in. He may need it as well from her, but she definitely needs it. My God. What use is it praising Heathcliff to him? 
I answered, as lads they had an aversion to each other, and Heathcliff would hate just as much to hear him praised. It's human nature. Let Mr. Linton alone about him, unless you would like an open quarrel between them. But does it not show great weakness? pursued she. I'm not envious. I never feel hurt at the brightness of Isabella's yellow hair and the whiteness of her skin, at her dainty elegance and the fondness all the family exhibit for her. Even you, Nellie, if we have a dispute sometimes, you back Isabella at once, and I yield like a foolish mother. I call her a darling and flatter her into a good temper. It pleases her brother to see us cordial, and that pleases me. But they are very much alike. They are spoiled children, and fancy the world was made for their accommodation. And though I humor both, I think a smart chastisement might improve them all the same. Well, it's a very different thing, Catherine, is it not? You're not jealous of Isabella's yellow hair and the whiteness of her skin and her dainty elegance, although it certainly seems like maybe you are a bit envious of that. Because Edgar doesn't want to fuck his sister. But you want to fuck Heathcliff. Okay? Let's just call a spade a spade. That's what's going on here. You are in love with Heathcliff. Edgar, prissy though he may be, is not a fool. And, you know, petulant and spoiled though he may be, he has done everything in his power to uh, provide a happy home for you there at Thrushcross Grange. And then here you are talking up Heathcliff. And he knows what's going on. No wonder he's sick. I'm sick, too. I'm sick on his behalf. You're mistaken, Mrs. Linton, said I. They humor you. I know what there, w- I know what there would be to do if they did not. You can well afford to indulge their passing whims, as long as their business is to anticipate all your desires. You may, however, fall out at last over something of equal consequence to both sides, and then those you term weak are very capable of being as obstinate as you. And then we shall fight to the death, shan't we, Nellie? she returned, laughing. No, I tell you, I have such faith in Linton's love that I believe I might kill him and he wouldn't wish to retaliate. Well, yeah, because he's... Uh, oh, she drives me crazy. Oh, this one just drives me up a tree. Remember last time I said he was P-Whip? Now, look, I don't like my language any more than you do, okay? My language is, 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 is getting to me just as surely as it's, as it's scraping against your every last nerve, but I don't know how else to describe these relationships. He is whipped, okay? Everybody's being a dick dick, and she wants to fuck Heathcliff. All right, let's just get it all out there on the table because that's what's going on here. And she's basically saying he's such a pussy, I could kill him and he wouldn't retaliate. You know, she's phrasing it as he loves me so much, and maybe he does, but it's also she's run roughshod over this entire household. And Isabella and Edgar, like, they're doing everything they can to just keep the peace. So it's, you know, it's just, oh, it's just awful. I advised her to value him the more for his affection. I do, she answered, but he needn't resort to whining for trifles. It is childish. And instead of melting into tears because I said that Heathcliff was now worthy of anyone's regard, and it would honor the first gentleman in the country to be his friend. (laughs) I mean, you're laying it on a little thick, girl. 
He ought to have said it for me and been delighted from sympathy. He must get accustomed to him, and he may as well like him, considering how Heathcliff has reason to object to him. I'm sure he behaved excellently. What do you think of his going to Wuthering Heights? I inquired. He is reformed in every respect, apparently. Quite a Christian, offering the right hand of fellowship to his enemies all around. He explained it, she replied. I wondered as much as you. He said he called to gather information concerning me from you, supposing you resided there still. And Joseph told Hindley, who came out, and fell to questioning him of what he had been doing, and how he'd been living, and finally desired him to walk in. There were some persons sitting at cards. Heathcliff joined them. My brother lost some money to him, and finding him plentifully supplied, he requested that he would come again in the evening, to which he consented. Hindley is too reckless to select his acquaintance prudently. He doesn't trouble himself to reflect on the causes he might have for mistrusting one whom he has basely injured. But Heathcliff affirms his principal reason for resuming a connection with his ancient persecutor is a wish to install himself in quarters at walking distance from the Grange, and an attachment to the house where we live together, and likewise a hope that I shall have more opportunities of seeing him than I could have if he settled in Gimmerton. He means to offer liberal payment for permission to lodge at the heights, and doubtless my brother's covetousness will prompt him to accept the terms. He was always greedy, though what he grasps with one hand, he flings away with the other. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. When Heathcliff said, I came to settle my score with Hindley and then prevent the law by doing execution on myself, you know, I took that to mean that he was going to kill Hindley and kill himself, but, but that doesn't seem to be what he means. So I don't know. So he, he, he went over to Wuthering Heights to talk to Nellie to, to find out about Catherine. They got to chat and Henley invited him in. They played some cards. He lost some money. He said, come on back. They got along. And now he's saying, I want to hang out. I want to live here, you know, a, a walking distance from, from here so that we can hang out, you and me, Kathy, uh, instead of you having to come go to Gimmerton to hang out. So so what's he doing? I mean, what, what is he doing? What is his purpose here? It's a little hard to say other than to be with Catherine. Like what, like what other conclusion can we draw other than he wants to be with Catherine? Well, even in today's liberal woke culture, to have, you know, your wife's old boyfriend move to town so that he can hang out with you, like that would be weird, right? That's weird. Or, you know, if you're the lady, then your old boyfriend, who you're still in love with, to come to town to hang out with you, that would be weird. And you may be secretly delighted, but it's, you know, let's not pretend everything's above board when it obviously isn't. It's a nice place for a young man to fix his dwelling in, said I. Have you no fear of the consequences, Mrs. Linton? Right? Nellie's the only one talking sense here. Have you no fear of the consequences? There's going to be consequences. Consequences, Kathy. Don't you know that? Don't you know? Next thing you know, he's going wa- to be wanting to put his hands on your boobies. That's just, what, that's just what's going to happen. You know, and, and you're going to have to deal with that. None for my friend, she replied. His strong head will keep him from danger. 
a little for Hindley, but he can't be made morally worse than he is, and I stand between him and bodily harm. The event of this evening has reconciled me to God and humanity. What? I had risen in angry rebellion against providence. Oh, I've endured very, very bitter misery, Nellie. If that creature knew how bitter, he'd be ashamed to cloud its removal with idle petulance. It was kindness for him which induced me to bear it alone. Had I expressed the agony I frequently felt, he would have been taught to long for its alleviation as ardently as I. However, it's over, and I'll take no revenge on his folly. I can afford to suffer anything hereafter. Should the meanest thing alive slap me on the cheek, I'd not only turn the other, but I'd ask pardon for provoking it, and as a proof, I'll go make my peace with Edgar instantly. Good night. I'm in Angel. <laughs> she literally says, I'm an angel. <laughs> uh, she's awful. I mean, she's just awful. She's saying, God only knows how I've suffered since Heathcliff left. How I've suffered here being waited on hand and foot by my husband and sister-in-law. Though we've had many happy times together, the bitterness and anger I have felt has been unrelenting, and nobody knows because of my good temper how I have suffered. But now Heathcliff is back, and I am reconciled to God and humanity, and to prove it, I'm going to go make up with my husband. I am an angel. (laughs) In this self-complacent conviction she departed, and the success of her fulfilled resolution was obvious on the morrow. Mr. Linton had not only abjured his pre-peevishness, though his spirit still seemed subdued by Catherine's exuberance of vivacity, but he ventured no objection to her taking Isabella with her to Wuthering Heights in the afternoon and she rewarded him with such a summer of sweetness and affection in return as made the house a paradise for several days, both master and servants profiting from the perpetual sunshine. I wonder if she went, I wonder if when she said, I'll go make my peace with Edgar instantly, I I wonder if she went in there and just rode him like a pony, you know? I think that's what happened. Thinking of Heathcliff all the while, by the way. Heathcliff, a Mr. Heathcliff, I should say in future, used the liberty of visiting at Thrushcross Grange cautiously at first. He seemed estimating how far its owner would bear his intrusion. Catherine also deemed it judicious to moderate her expressions of pleasure in receiving him, and he gradually established his right to be expected. He retained a great deal of the reserve for which his boyhood was remarkable, and that served to repress all startling demonstrations of feeling. My master's uneasiness experienced a lull, and further circumstances diverted it into another channel for a space. His new source of trouble sprang from the not-anticipated misfortune of Isabella Linton evincing a sudden and irresistible attraction towards the tolerated guest. Oh, 
Well, now we do have a complication, do we not? Now we do have a bit of a wrinkle. Isabella Linton uh, has developed a little crush on Heathcliff. She was at that time a charming young lady of 18, infantile in manners, though possessed of keen wit, keen feelings, and a keen temper too, if irritated. Her brother, who loved her tenderly, was appalled at this fantastic preference. Leaving aside the degradation of an alliance with a nameless man, and the possible fact that his property, in default of heirs male, might pass into such a one's power, he had sense to comprehend Heathcliff's disposition, to know that, though his exterior was altered, his mind was unchangeable and unchanged, and he dreaded that mind. It revolted him. He shrank forebodingly from the idea of committing Isabella to its keeping. And we shall leave it there. Interesting development. Isabella and Heathcliff. Well, I had not considered that possibility, but it does make a fair amount of sense from everybody's point of view, except, of course, for Edgar's and, well, from Catherine's as well. Catherine would be, of course, devastated if Isabella, who she doesn't even like, were to marry Heathcliff. But from Heathcliff's point of view, hey, it gives him a reason to be there. You know, he can't have Catherine. Uh... And who knows, you know, he, as, 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 uh, as said, he would then be heir to, you know, some portion of the Linton fortune. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? You know, but trouble, trouble certainly could, should, and will happen. So, uh, I guess we'll find out the exact nature of that trouble when next we meet and in subsequent episodes. But let's leave it there, and we shall rejoin each other soon for another anticipatory episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedgren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time.